Good morning. Good. That was sort of a test as well as a good morning. Hey, we are in Psalm 119, and uh, we are closing towards the end of this, this chapter that is all about God's Word. Um, and as we look in today, I was just thinking of uh, just the very first eight verses is, is uh, all about the alphabet letter Resh, and uh, the idea here is, is really about rescue and revival. And so as I was thinking of rescue and what, that, what does that mean to you, um, I'm sure all of you have some rescue stories, but I was thinking of the church camp out, and this is probably about eight or ten years ago. Don't know exactly. Barkers aren't here this morning, I don't think. But so we have a, we have a motorcycle, a, a small one, and we have some kids, and we have some fearless kids. The Barker kids have been known to me at least to be super fearless. They're, they're not scared of anything. So I think it was Alex, could have been Evan, don't know, but he was not tall enough for the motorcycle, so it was basically get on the motorcycle and hit the gas and get going so you can stay. And uh, so they're just having fun. It was such a, such a great day. And then um, all of a sudden, <laughs> he got on it and kind of couldn't get completely on it. So guess what happens to your throttle when you're kind of trying to get on it? Well, he just nailed it, so it's taken off, and it's going towards the creek. And all of you who have been up at the 4-H camp know there's a creek over there. We all love going over to the creek, but we don't like to have the kids in the creek. We also don't like them riding the motorcycle into the creek, and he was so small. And there's a barbed wire fence and everything. And uh, all of a sudden, you just see this blur of a dad streaking across the 4-H camp. Josh, Josh Barker, now, he's a mid-four-second 40-yard dash in high school. He's blazing fast, like 4'6", something like that. He is putting a 4'3 on this one because here's his son, full blast, full blast all the way. And it was almost like he was clotheslining in love his kid right before he just kind of swooped him, the bike goes, and he gets his kid, and I'm sure the adrenaline rush to his heart came to a, to a halt finally. He rescued Alex, and we have Alex or Evan today because of the fact that he was rescued by his dad. It was a close one. All, everyone else is just kind of just like, oh, and Josh is just gone. I'm sure you've been rescued at one point in time or the other, and you have a story behind being rescued, but this is all about rescue. This first part of Psalm 119 that we're going to go through is about the fact that this psalmist is being just pushed in on in every side he has people who are against him, against God's word, and as we get into this, we'll see that that's exactly uh, what he wants to be rescued from and revived in his spirit. And then we're going to talk about Sen and Shin, which is the, the next uh, Hebrew alphabet letter, and that's the next eight verses, and that's all about the awe that he has for God's word. So it's more of a rescue and revival, and then the awe of what he has for God's word, and so we're going to get into it right now with uh, Resh. It says, Look on my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my, preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from, my, from your statutes. Look on the faithless with your loathing, with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. 
Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. And so as he begins this, this eight verses, uh, he, he counts the fact that he needs to be revived. He needs to be rescued. He needs to have God come to him and, and to, to, to protect him. And so he says, look at my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. And so he's, he's saying, God, I'm getting beat up over here. Life is giving me, uh, giving me the press. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Uh, I talked to someone this morning that kind of had a, a rough summer and, and kind of was in the wine press of something. But there are times in your life where you feel like, God, do you, do you know I'm going through this? Like, are you aware that I'm in this press right now? Do you, do you even care? Do you know that I'm, I'm about ready to lose my job or I'm about my relationship with my kids or whatever it happens to be? And, or it's a health concern, and Lord, I, I've got this thing, and it's so huge, and I can't get through it. And, and what he's saying is, is, Lord, do you notice what's going on? Do you see me that I'm afflicted? And so he's asking the Lord to take action. But he also says, I, I'm, I'm glued to your law. No matter what happens to me, I'm glued to your law. But Lord, take notice of your servant. And then the next portion, verse 54, he asks him to be more than just his rescuer, but also his advocate. Now, Ben's not here this morning, but Ben is an advocate. That's what he does. And it's almost written in legalese. When you see this verse, you realize what he's asking for is someone who will stand in his place between him and his adversaries, to stand there and to protect him and to take up his cause. These are my cause. This is who I am. And this is what I'm all about. And Lord, I'm asking you not only to, to just notice my affliction, but I, now I want you to be my advocate. Now, you, you moms out there, and I'm not saying dads don't do this too, but when someone picks on your kid, what do you do? Even when your kid may not be completely in the neutral or right, you're going to do what? You're going to advocate for your kid, right? Whether it's the principal's office and you just have to have a nice stern talk with someone um, or, or not. And you realize that's what he's asking to do. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. He's saying, according to this right here, give me life. And I'm, in, I'm being oppressed. He goes on and he, he basically points out the fact that wicked, the wicked are those who basically don't follow his law or don't believe in his law. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek what? Your statute, statutes. And we've said this before. What do you expect people who don't know the Lord to do? How do you expect them to act? Like they don't know the Lord, right? So you're not surprised when someone who's not saved does things that, are becoming of someone who doesn't know the Lord. And what he's saying here is this, is the reason why these people don't know you and don't, and, and don't follow your decrees is because they don't have a relationship with you. And they, they, don't, they certainly don't believe your word. And so they act like unsaved people. And what are we to do with people who are unsaved, who are just messing up all the time? Pray, pray. And reach out to them. Because at one point in time, you were one too, and so was I. And you realize, wow, there was a point in time where I did not believe that this, this book was true. I thought there were parts that were true, 
I thought that I could kind of discern which ones are true and not true because, of course, I was so wise at age, I think I was a teenager, which is fitting probably. But you realize your growth in understanding that this is all true, even if you don't understand every jot and tittle, has to do with faith. Faith is much greater than knowledge. And so what he's saying here is salvation is far from the wicked, mainly because they don't believe your word is true. And if you don't believe your, his word is true, if someone doesn't believe this is true, how can they be saved? I, I, would like to ask, I would ask you, first of all, how do you know anything if you don't know that this book is true? How do you know that you were created for a purpose? How do you know there's even somebody out there who created this place? How do you know that you're just not going to be dust at some point in time? None of that can be assumed. Now, we all assume that because we, we know God's word and we've kind of grown up that way, but if you start from nothing, it's pretty tough. And when you take God's word, everything starts to fit into place, and you're like, oh, I get this. His promises are what allow us to build our faith in the fact that he loves us and has a plan for us and wants to actually be in relationship with us, not just here, but where? For all eternity. And that's when it's exciting. And that's the psalmist's understanding. He's in affliction now, but he knows it won't last forever. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Now, how many of you like rules? Some of you raised your hand right away. <laughs> A lot of you didn't. Maybe you're just on the fence on that. How would you like to go to Denver and try to get to a concert or your favorite place if there were no rules whatsoever? Could you get to where you wanted to go if there were no rules? <laughs> now, I'm the guy that, okay, so there's a four-way stop, and you've, you know this is true. Have you ever been frustrated at four-way stop? Yes, and that's kind of a rule thing, right? Like, get the guy on the right, yields to the, right? When, when that doesn't happen, what does that do to you inside when they don't do that? They kind of roll, and then there's kind of a hesitation, and then they romp on it, and you're right in the middle of it, and you're about ready to romp on it, and you're like, man, I love rules. I love rules. That's what's true. It's true. I love rules because that's how God's word is set up. He's like, this is for your good. This is so we don't have... Can you imagine Denver with no rules? Oh, my goodness. If you don't have a V6 in Denver, you probably have, your back end looks like it's been nailed because someone's going to run right over you. Now take no rules into the equation. Disaster. And what he's saying is, great is your mercy, Lord. Your mercy is that you gave us rules. He gave us parameters. How are you supposed to run your life? How are you supposed to run your relationships? How are you supposed to do this, 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 this? And he gave us rules, and it was by his mercy. And you see that as you look through the Old Testament, like, wow, how did he know so much ahead of time that protected that nation in such a unique way by giving these rules? You're not supposed to mess, mix with these people. Don't eat this food. Do this when someone is sick to put outside the camp. And you realize, man, all those rules, they're so, so constrictive. And you realize, wow, he was protecting his people. That was mercy. He's like, I, I don't want you to have to go through those things. So what the psalmist is saying is, I love your rules. I love your word. I love that you give us a manual to run our lives by because without it, it would look like Denver. Uh, just rush hour Denver, no rules. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. 
got a lot of enemies. Have you ever had a lot of enemies? Have you ever gone somewhere, gone to a new school, or gone someplace where you were just not quite accepted? And people kind of like, you remember, maybe you were on the outs and the whole thing. Do you know that people actually feel that way when they come to church sometimes? They do. And it's sad. Sometimes it's them, and then sometimes it's what? Us. We need to own that because they come in and they don't feel what? Welcomed, right? So, so give them a couple extra cookies for heaven's sake. Make them feel welcome. And you know what? We're glad to see you here. But he's saying what? I have so many foes. God, I need you because you're all I have. You're the only constant in my life. And when you're all alone, I remember going off to college and for the first time, you know, podunk person coming from a rural place in Montana going to college. And it took me a little while to kind of get hooked up with the people who, who I would spend time with. And just, man, it was a terrible, terrible time because I didn't know the Lord. I didn't have a relationship with him. It was just me and kind of the world. And so it was kind of like this, this whole thing where the relationship, as, we, as you come to know the Lord, first of all, you have a church family no matter where you go. You have family wherever you go. But secondly, when you know the Lord, you have a relationship with him that is constant all the time. And whether you have other people around you or not, that's the constant thing in your life. Then he goes on to say, I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. And he's looking at those people who don't know the, the Lord, and he looks at them, and he just understands that the reason why they are the way they are is because they don't obey the Lord, and they don't understand his word and how important it is for their life. And so even though we can be persecuted from a world, we can have lots of adversaries, the Lord is constant, and he protects us. And the psalmist asks him, to be not only his advocate, but also the one who rescues him. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. I want you to notice that's verse 59. And then I put 54, which we read already, and 56. See the similarity of the last sentence. In accordance with your love. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. And then in 54 it says, Preserve my life according to your promise. Preserve my life according to your laws. There is a constant theme here. And what it is is this. Rescue me, revive me according to your word. You promised me this. You promised you'd take me through this. And what does Romans 8 say? Not the misquoted version, but the, quote, the part that's actually written in there. All things work for what? Ah. Uh, for those who love him and who are called according to purpose. So you realize, wow, you know what? According to Romans 8, Lord, preserve me. You know that everything that happens to us, even though at the time we can't necessarily see it, is for our good. And, we, and that's a hard pill to swallow, for sure. But that's what the psalmist is saying. I trust that, that is true. Do you trust that that's true? Because if you see every challenge that you have without some value, you lose the value of that challenge. True or not true? If you, get, if you don't see it that way, you're going to grow. It starts with a B, and it really tastes bad. Bitter. You're going to be bitter because, you know what? This happened. And you can talk to people who are unsaved and saved both, and they'll say, you know, I'm mad at God, or I don't believe in God because my sister died, or my mom died at when I was a young girl, and boy, and as hard as those things are, 
you realize, wow, how we react to situations determines how we see things. And you realize, oh, tough things are going to happen because when Adam and Eve took a bite of that apple, guess what entered the world? Sin and death. And that wasn't God's plan, and he's going to fix it all. But in the meantime, we need to realize that he's praying for preservation of his life, even though he lives in a sinful world, and that it would be according to his word. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. This is what you would want your kids to say to you. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. They're going to last forever, Dad. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> but they are true, and they are eternal. There are three things that are eternal. God, God's Word, and people. And people will spend one place or the other for eternity. Absolutely true. And they get to choose, and God is so long stuff. He is so patient. We, none of us have even just a millimeter of his patience. And it's like, why don't you just pull the carpet out from underneath us, Lord? We've, we've just completely left you. We've, we've gone our own way. And yet, all of his words are true, and all of his laws are eternal, and he wants as many as possible to come because he has, want, he has wanted a relationship with those who he created, who are his image bearers for a long time. All of them are true. Think of a book, think of a book that has nothing false in it. Not one bit of false in it. Children's books, not gonna work. Think of another book that's absolutely true. You're probably thinking of your science book. Probably not. There's probably something in there they're going to figure out. It's not quite right. Even your math book. I found out some things when I took abstract algebra. I'm not talking like algebra, like algebra 2 or 3. I'm talking about abstract algebra, 400-level math class. And all of a sudden, I, I come to some revelations of, I really don't even know that the addition system actually is true. I'm not kidding you. Uh, we're not going to go into it because I don't have that much time, and that's a rabbit trail we're not going to chase. But... It is so much like, you're like, oh, yeah, math is just so, it's always, oh, wow. Depends on which system you're using, you know? Sin and shin. I love it. They use them interchangeably. And so this letter of the alphabet brings to us eight more verses that the psalmist hits. And here it's, it's all about the awe of God's word. Not the, oh, gosh, our family Bible is sitting up on the table and we never read it. It's the awe of looking into his word and going, I can't believe we actually have the very words of God. So according to God's word, how, was, how were the molecules that you're sitting on and who are around you came into existence at the very beginning of when they came into existence? According to God's word, what, what happened? I heard, I heard a couple things. Smoke? Probably smoke too, huh? <laughs> smoke and then, yep. Yeah. Ah, dirt? And then we have dirt? Okay. Breathed? Okay. So he spoke it into existence. True? Everybody sure about that? And if you're not sure about that, boy, there's a great reference book I'd turn you to. Because this one here has uh, details in there. It is so good. 
And not only did he spoke the molecules that you're sitting on right now, but what's true here about this particular carbon-based molecule thing we have here? He spoke it into existence using a couple of new, man, 40 different people, 40 different people. You realize that is incredible. Over 1,500 years they spoke three different languages. They lived at different times. And when you read one, you're thinking, man, you had to know that this guy over here is saying the same thing as you are. They don't even know each other. They're from different countries or continents. God spoke this, this word into existence, much like he spoke everything else there. Boom, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And you realize, oh my gosh, when we realize that his awe-inspiring word was given to us, then we get to this letter of the, of the Hebrew alphabet because it is all about the amazing, amazing thing that he did. Most people go, oh, it's just an old ratty-tatty book. And then after you look into it for a little while, you're like, eh, a little more than that. Whoops, we flipped through. Let me just read this. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. And I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. And so we have this awe-inspiring word that is a treasure. It is a humongous treasure. And you have to ask yourself, what would you trade for God's word? If you had, if there was only one Bible in the world, okay, we've so plentiful that we lose perspective. If there was only one Bible in the world, how much would you pay for it? Would you? Okay. In your mind, in your mind, I would. But then the mortgage payment comes up, and I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Yeah, that's what the psalmist is saying. You know what? This is the most valuable thing, and realize how it was back in those days, just God giving his word to his people. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. And what he's saying is, is I don't fear them, because what can they do to me? Uh, we talked about this in one of the Bible studies this week. And, and there's this idea that what can they do to you? What can someone do to you? What's the worst thing? They can kill you. Pretty bad, isn't it? Well, it kind of depends on how they kill you maybe, but pretty bad one way or the other. Okay? So you're, it's, you're dead. Now what happens? Okay? <laughs> you're at the table, right? Okay, so it's not pleasant, but... But that's the worst they can do to you. Without this book, what's the worst thing they could do to you? If this book never existed and God never revealed what he revealed to you, how would that change your answer about dying? Oh, everything, right? Because now we don't know anything, and we don't even know that God's out there and that he even wants us little, in whatever you want to call us, we're, we're sort of... I guess, like little kids who just kind of throw tantrums about every other day or so. And you realize, okay, without that book, you don't know what happens to you when you die. Now how valuable is it? 
Super valuable. It's like being on a NASA spaceship and you got up to the moon and all of a sudden something doesn't work and you don't have a manual. You got all the tools, you got the toolbox, you have Bob the builder right with you or the whoever that you want to whoever you want to take on your that'd be the first thing is choosing who you take with you. But secondly, you get up there and you don't have the manual and someone's like, Who forgot the manual? Because the manual allows you to what? Navigate your way. And that's Psalm one nineteen. It helps us to navigate the way. That's why it's so awesome. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great what? And someone goes, I found the manual. I found the manual. Everybody's like, you are the, you're the, you're the big guy for the day. And you realize that's how important it is to the psalmist. That's how important it is to us. I hate and detest falsehood because I love your law. He's just kind of contrasting. Here's falsehood. Here's all of the tabloids. Here's how you're supposed to have a great relationship, tabloid. Here's what happiness looks like, tabloid. Here's a commercial on TV that says this is what will complete you and make you feel all good. And here's God's word over here. And he's contrasting them saying, this is where the truth is. And all of this stuff, it's all falsehood. It's not going to be true at the end of the day. Then he goes on and says this, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Have you ever praised God throughout the whole day, had maybe a weekend or a time away where you were just in prayer and just praising God, and you realize the psalmist says this is where he's at, and what he's doing is, and, and you can, you know, okay, math major, but okay, the number seven is what? Completion and perfect. So what he's saying is not just seven, but seven times 70 times 70 more or whatever. What he's saying is continually praise it's like the, the verse that says that we're supposed to pray unceasingly, that we're, we're supposed to do that. And so this idea, is what he's saying is, is, your word is so much a part of my life that I don't even stop thinking about it. Okay, you're in, you've been in love. Raise your hand if you've been in love. Your parents are here and you're young. You may not raise your hand if you feel like that would be taking the fifth, but okay. <laughs> so you've been in love. What do you think about when you are in that I call it the honeymoon stage. It's the cocaine in the brain stage. It lasts about 18 months. Then you start seeing clearly. But what, what do you think about all day long? That person, right? And you're supposed to be doing your algebra. You're, and you're thinking about that person. Or you're supposed to be at work doing something. And you're thinking about that person, right? That's what the psalmist is doing. I think about you all day long, God. I think about your word all day long. And then you think of Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. He's like, he's got this all day long. He's thinking about it all day long because it's his main thing. It's his main squeeze. It's what he cares about most. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. And you read that and you think, I wait for your salvation, and while I'm waiting for that salvation, I follow your commands. What does that mean? What does that mean to follow your commands? You know the answer. It means to do what? Yeah. Do what it says to do. How many of us worry? <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah. How many times in the Bible does it say, don't worry? 365. Do you think that's like some kind of fluke? Probably not. And you realize, do what it says. And I'm not saying it's like one of those old songs, but don't worry. 
And it's very difficult for us not to worry because it is the antithesis of kind of deciding who's in control of the situation, who's in control of my life. And we're continually giving that throne. Sometimes we take that throne back over like, no, no, I got to take control for a while because, uh, you know, I feel better when I'm in control, like when you're driving or whatever. And then you're like, okay, Lord, you can have it, but just, just be careful with my life. And they're like, no, 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 something happens. And you run over that stool and you try to take over the stool of your life. And you realize that this is the throne of all the decisions that you make. And so he's saying, Lord, I follow your commands. I'm waiting for your salvation. Jacob in Genesis 40, 19 says, I look for your deliverance, Lord. He looks forward to a time when he's going to be delivered. James 2, 14. And this, I, threw, I put this verse in here just mainly this idea that is so important for us not to just look at this word. We talked about this in our James today. Great study Monday nights. Boy, if you could come to, uh, there's great studies every night, but uh, Wednesday starting this week, by the way, we're having at 6.30, so this would be a great time to jump on board with the Baker Keller group. So if you are interested in a small group, come 6.30 Wednesday night here, but if you were thinking about the Monday study, 6.30 on Monday, that would be great as well. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And the answer is what? It's a hard one, isn't it? Because our works don't save us. So someone, you can look at someone, and you can say, man, they're doing all these things. Um, they're, they're, they're doing all the church things that you should do. And you're like, man, I think they're saved. And it can be true. But there have been enough people who you've seen fall that you know that's not necessarily true, is it? There are biblical tares in the wheat. There's this idea that that's not always true. And so what James is saying here is this. If you have genuine faith, it will result in works. It will. But if your whole relationship with God is about you trying to earn his favor so that you can, well, whatever it is, then you got it all wrong. Because he wants a relationship with you first. And out of that relationship, as he speaks to you in his word, and as he gives you these things to, to, to think about and do, and as that pours into your life, you will naturally produce fruit just like the little tree in your yard that maybe it's a tree that you didn't even plant uh, somebody's neighbor's seeds blew over in your yard, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, it's got fruit on it. And nobody told it to have fruit on it. It just took root, and all of a sudden, fruit came up. And that's kind of how it is. And that's what James is saying. And James goes on to say that, which we're not going to cover because I am definitely over time. Okay, 167. I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes for all my ways are known to you. True or false? God knows what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow morning. If you're getting breakfast tomorrow morning. And you, re you read that and you think, for all my ways are known to you. So sometimes we're like, man, i sure glad God didn't see that one. We think that in our heads sometimes. We do. You do. You know you do. You're like, man. And you look, kind of look around and you're like, your main audience just saw that, right? And it's like so <laughs> revealing and disturbing too. You're like, man, Lord, I just, please change me. Romans 8, 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves 
so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. God knows us so, so well. He knows us so well. He knows us better than your spouse knows you. He knows you better than your earthly parents knew you. God wants that relationship with you, and he wants you to have his word so that you come to know him in a way that he also can communicate with you and get to know him in a way that, um, kind of like you know your, your, your parents here on earth. Some applications in very small print. Hopefully you can read those. For me, it's a little more challenging. Do you need rescuing? Are you in a pickle? Do you need an advocate? Are you seeking him? Do you need reviving? This is different. We hear the word revival, and what do you think of? People raising their hands and flags and all kinds of stuff. But revival should result in a turning to the word, and then from the turning to the word, obedience. So a lot of times you'll have like a a big, we're going to have a revival meeting. What should be the fruit of a revival meeting? What should be? The next day when someone says, hey, we're going to do a short-term mission trip, somewhere, or we're going to put on this or put on that, what should the revival meeting produce in the sign-up list for those things? Probably some fruit, right? So if we just get together to revive ourselves, that's one thing. But what James is saying is, boy, let that drive you to do what God whispers in your ear. Hey, maybe, maybe you could spare some time to do this or do that. Are you trying to win souls? Are you trying to win souls? I know, you. It's, it's hard. Sometimes you're like, wow, I'm just trying to breathe right now. And I've got this, and I've got kids, and I've got college, and all. And you realize, wow, are we trying to win souls? I'm just going to give you a, a real short version. Be in the Word, be in prayer, be in fellowship. And when someone comes through the door, welcome them. And when you know somebody who you know who may be interested in church, invite them. There's your five-point plan to reaching people. Let the church and God's people do the work. Bring them here. It just seems to be the way that God works. I'm not saying it doesn't happen other times, but boy, be in the word first. Abide, and then out of that, invite. Be doers or sharers of his precious word. If it's so precious to us, boy, as we have opportunity to share how it's changed our lives, that's a huge, huge thing for other people to see that that book has clout, and it has purpose in our lives. And again, we are to be in awe of God's word. Are you in God's word? Are you reading his treasure? How is your praise life? If your praise life kind of is in the toilet, guess what? It's probably because your word life is not where it should be. Are you lacking peace? Boy, I'm full of anxiety. Probably because of what? Your, your word The word is not there. Are you putting God's word into action by faith? That's just a really obedient, that's an obedience question. I I know people who know so much of this word. You're just like, whoa, they like memorize stuff and they've got like huge amounts of knowledge up here. I know some people who really aren't involved in his kingdom work at all. It's kind of like they're keeping his treasure to themselves. And I think you should be sharing that. You should be Help leading a small group or or discipling someone. Just put it into action because God gives us things for us to share, not to keep. Do you feel your, your Abba's love for you? Direct correlation with do you love and spend time in his awesome word?
very close correlation. You know it if you've been a Christian for a while. When you're closest in the Word is when you feel closest to Him. They're just one and the same. I was thinking of, of, I was thinking of Josh Barker with his situation at the, at the camp out, but also just um, grew up, growing up on a farm. I was thinking of all the situations in which I needed to be rescued. And I don't know how we all lived. Maybe there was another kid they never told us, told us about that didn't make it, had a grain elevator auger thing or something going on. I don't know, but I think we all made it. We all have our limbs. But why, I have no idea. If you've lived on a farm or, or maybe we took all the guards off of everything and all that sort of thing, but if you've lived on a farm, you realize there's a lot of stuff that can happen to you. And you need to be rescued about once a week. And I was just thinking through all the, the stories of, and remembrances of just being in this tight situation. It's like, wow. And it always seemed like in those situations, kind of naturally, my dad was involved in the rescuing part of the operation. And maybe it's because he knew he grew up on a farm too, and he knew kind of what was going on, but didn't keep him from not having us do those things. But boy, I'll tell you what, really close calls. Could have died like six times, honestly, just that was real, it was real close. But one time, and it wasn't a life or death thing, I think it would have been more, more of a torture thing. I was a little kid. My mom said I was about four years old and uh, used to have to go down and pick eggs. And so a little stool thing, pick the eggs, raise the chicken, pick the eggs, come back out. Well, me and this rooster, there's two roosters. Me and this one, he was a big guy. Of course, when you're four, everything, everything looks bigger. But we had it out a few times, and I had to like abort, you know, abandon the operation, let my brother go get the rest of the eggs. One day, this rooster takes up with me, and he starts pecking me and chasing me, and he's so close on my heels, I just had to go around the barn. I ran around once, and I kept running. He kept stick, sticking right on me. He must have been like a part pterodactyl. I don't know. He was just really vicious. Like It looked like that. So I was a third time around. My mom said the third time, and she was apparently watching from the house, which is about 75 yards away. And third time around, come around the thing, and I'm just, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I can hold up with this. <laughs> you know, I was trying to outrace him. All of a sudden, I see my dad show up, and it's just kind of a blur. And all of a sudden, I see him do something, and all I hear, all I hear is this, boom. And I'm like, wow, and I'm, I'm continuing to run, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I look back, and I realize that the rooster is dead. He picked up a rock. On a dead run, my mom said she saw the whole thing. I saw none of it. And he threw, he, he, we were very close contact, okay? So we were, it's kind of like, could you move away from the, the, you know, the shooter? He nailed this rooster. I bet he couldn't do that a 99 more tries. Nailed him dead on impact. And I thought, coming back to him going, thank you for rescuing me. And now I think, man, <laughs> that was a close call. But he knew the kid, and he was going to do what? Take care of the kid because he was my dad. That's who takes care of us, rescues us, and who we should be in awe of. And it is our privilege to know him in a very personal way. Thank you, Father, for knowing us and understanding that we are just kids that are going through life that are difficult. We thank you for your word we thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you that even though we're going through difficult times, like the psalmist, that you are our rescuer. You are our reviver. You're the one who brings spiritual revival into our lives. 
Thank you for your promises in your word that no matter what happens to us, no matter what this life throws at us, we have you. You are the one who stands back in the shadows, ready to protect, ready to come in, ready to rescue whenever. And we just thank you for your word. We ask that you would quicken the spirit inside of each one of us as we read your word, to not only to understand it and to come to know you in a deep way, the way we know our dad, the way that we know the people who are close to us, but in a deeper way as the one who created us, that we would trust you more, that we would put our faith in you more, and that we would recognize that you are doing everything you're doing really for your purposes and for our ultimate good. And uh, we just thank you for this, ch- this Psalm 119, this chapter in your book that is so, so powerful. We stand in awe of the book that we trust really our whole eternity in. And so we thank you for it. We ask that you would bless us this week as we go out and bless a world that needs to see a different people who live like salt and light and uh, that your word would empower us to do that as we abide in it. And we just pray that we would stay connected to that vine that you provided for us. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.